Peace and Dissent Organization. More information on that is at www.stillspying.org. And that does it for the show today. Thanks for listening. This is Saeed, executive producer and host of Arab Voices. Until we meet next week, peace on earth. This is Bill McKibben coming at you on KBOO, Portland, Oregon. Are you a KBOO member? Tell us why you support KBOO. Call our listener testimonial line and leave a message telling us why you support KBOO Community Radio. Testimonials will be used on air during our next membership drive. Call 503-231-8032, extension 302. That's 503-231-8032, extension 302. Thanks. The more compassion we have towards animals, the more compassion we're going to have towards other people. If you can value them all, you, you really value yourself as well. So even if you don't care about animals, the, the things we do that hurt animals end up hurting ourselves. It's almost kind of a dominion type issue where we feel we need to control everything. Dominion means stewardship, to take care of. What would a cow think about satisfying our habit? The challenge lies with looking at suffering from the perspective of the person or individual suffering. Welcome to Voices for the Animals on KBOO Portland. This is your host, Noah Bristol. Along with Julianne Schwartz and Michelle Coppola, I bring you the show on the fourth Friday of every month at 10 a.m., or you can listen online anytime at kboo.fm slash Voices for the Animals. We're on the air to give voice to the urgent animal welfare and rights issues happening locally, regionally, and worldwide. And today, we are welcoming back to the show Courtney Scott, founder and president of Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants and former co-host of this very show. Foes, 
Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants, is active on many fronts, testifying at Metro Council, meetings with the zoo directors, organizing rallies and demos, doing outreach at street fairs and schools, and aligning with like-minded advocates and organizations around the country and the world. Joining Courtney is the organization's social media manager, Danielle West. Welcome to the show, you two. Thank you, Noah. Thanks so much. Excited to be here. How's it feel to be back, Courtney? Back to Kabu. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of weird. We're in a, my living room, so I'm, <laughs> I'm really back to Kabu. But yeah, it doesn't Kebu really feel like great, it. Yeah, but Kabu is a great uh, community service um, for all kinds of issues. And I believe it's the only one that carries an animal rights program in Portland, to my knowledge. The only one that I know of. Yeah, so it's a great it's a great program and a great service for the community. So, so Courtney, can you tell us about how you came personally to dedicate yourself to this cause of freeing the zoo elephants? Okay, I'll try to give the Reader's Digest version. About in two thousand, towards the end of two thousand and seven, um, I had started working on a film actually at that time, and I had a friend who worked at In Defense of Animals who told me about the elephants at the zoo. And at the same time, that was around the time they started um, promoting a bond measure at the zoo, which was supposed to create this multi-acre offsite preserve for the elephants where they were supposed to retire. So anyway, I started following and I went up to the zoo. I hadn't been up to, to any zoo for many, many years. And I actually, I don't even remember seeing an elephant at a zoo. Anyway, I went in and I saw Packy. Packy was the oldest elephant there at the zoo. He was born in 1962, the first elephant to be born in, in uh, North America in like 44 years. So I was really curious to see how he was doing. And it was just a shock to see him. He was just this huge, huge, you know, the largest animal on earth, walking in this steel cage back and forth. I, I watched him for about a half an hour, and that's all he did was walk back and forth. And I thought, there's something very, very, very wrong with this picture. And it just opened my heart. You know, I think everyone has a moment when something changes in their life and sets them on a course. Absolutely. And that was it for me. And after learning about the elephants, I also transitioned into becoming a vegan. You know, it, it opened up the whole world of animal issues for me. But, but Packy, the, the story of elephants in zoos, or really anywhere in captivity, is so tragic. When you consider how large they are, and how intelligent they are, and how little of their needs and their natures are being um, catered to in a zoo. And so there's just a lot of um, ignorance, I, would, I, I guess I would say, around that issue, and I wanted to bring light to it. And so I started interviewing the zoo director at that time and to find out if this bond measure was really going to pass. And if it did, would it really create this preserve? And of course, all along, the zoo director and Metro reassured me, oh, yes, it's going to happen. The money's there. Well, we all know what happened um, in 2008 when the bond passed. Another seven years, they said, oh, well, we can't do that preserve. There's no money. And so along those lines, I decided we've got to start an organization. We've got to start working on helping these elephants. So what right. actually has changed for them in the last 13 years since 2007? Well, not much. I mean, they did build a bigger exhibit in the zoo uh, at what they call elephant lands, which is kind of, you know, a strange word for a six-acre enclosure. But anyway, they did do that. And it is a little more room for the elephants. They had 1.2 acres before that. 
Um, but now they really have about four acres and it's still far, far from enough room for even one elephant who roam for miles every day. And they have to for their health, their mental and physical health. And so they, they're all suffering from a myriad of uh, emotional and physical problems because of just the lack of space alone. What brought you, Danny, into this organization and to champion this cause for the Oregon Zoo Elephants? Elephants sort of opened my heart. Um, I went to Thailand and I visited uh, Elephant Nature Park, which is a fantastic sanctuary there that um, is a leader in uh, elephant rescue and refuge. Um, I went there because I love elephants, like so many people, you know, I just love them. I think they're incredible animals, but I didn't know very much about them, just that I liked them. And it wasn't until I met them there, these elephants that have gone through all of this trauma and hardship, you know, they've been ridden. They were used for logging in zoos, circuses, etc. As big and powerful as they are, none of them were aggressive. They were so forgiving and truly magnificent. When I left Thailand, I decided to eat what elephants eat. So I became a vegan and I decided that it was something that really, really resonated with me to be a voice for them. So right now, if I got my facts right, one of the main goals of Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants is the Free Chendra campaign. Is that right? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think that's, that is a focus. And the reason we do that, we want them all to be free. Let's be clear on that. But as before, when we focused on Paki, people in general can uh, identify with a single animal more than they can a herd or a pack, whatever you want to call it. So, and also Chindra is the lone Borneo elephant there. So after Paki, we decided in his honor, we would focus on her because she is suffering quite a bit there at the zoo. A little bit of her history is that she came here when she was about four years old from Malaysia. Shortly after she arrived, her medical records show she developed foot problems and stereotypical behavior. Lately, she got pregnant and she has TB. And also, she has terrible feet. Her feet are in really, really bad shape. And as you know, that's a really big problem for elephants because if they get cracked toes, for instance, that all the um, infections come up through their feet and can actually kill them. For those so, who are listening who aren't familiar with that word stereotypical in relation to elephants, can you describe what that means? Right. It just means repetitive stress behavior. In Chandra's case, she walks in circles. That's something I've observed from her, from her for about the last 10 years. So she's been, actually been doing it probably even longer than that before I started going to the zoo. So she's, she's in a lot of stress. And so we, you know, just hope to get her out first. And then we would also love to see all the girls go. And then hopefully the males. I would like to add that these zoocosis, stereotypical repetitive behaviors, they can be found in any animal in captivity. It is not just limited to elephants, but we see the elephants at the Oregon Zoo, not just Chandra, but, you know, pretty much all of them. Um, you know, swaying back and forth, walking back and forth, rocking. Uh, like Sort of like a human in distress might hug their knees and rock back and forth. Yeah, exactly. And it is, it's a way for their brains to process that stress, right? So um, when you see an animal doing that, it is a 100% sign of stress. Right. 
And I like to think it's equivalent to a prisoner. You know, if you're in prison, what do you do? A human in a, in a small cell is as far exactly. detached as his native environment as an elephant in a zoo is mm-hmm. from theirs, I'm sure. So Danny, you're in charge of the social media for foes. And I want to know how easy or difficult is it to get traction with the public and gain people's attention on this issue? I would say as with many uh, issues of injustice, it didn't take long for me to grow our numbers and our audience because people care, you know, about animal abuse and people care about animal suffering. And when we highlight the zoo's blatant neglect, abuse, whatever you want to call it, people come, people come to attention, they care. On the flip side, you know, we've got a lot of um, pro-zoo people that come on there and, um, and follow us just to quote unquote troll, right? Or, or, or say that, you know, that we're wrong. Um, but the proof is in the pudding, you know, we, I post videos and photos and, um, and facts. I mean, that's all they are. And it's up to, it's up to the audience and the people to process what that means for them. And um, it's been, it's an honor for me to give voice to these elephants and the way that I know how as a typical millennial is um, social media. And I, I, you know, I feel myself even now sort of growing out of that, you know, um, I don't know anything about TikTok. I don't don't know what that is. So I sort of pray that someone younger will come in so we can pass the torch. But yeah, you know, social media is an incredible way for independent people and and causes to get their their voices heard and and it's it's been a good vehicle in pre-pandemic times i also frequently saw images of the organization standing just outside the gates at the zoo with signs and talking to people have you found that you had a lot of good personal conversations with zoo attendees who might not have known anything about this yeah we've had um incredible Uh, conversations with people. I've had uh, somebody, especially during the more busy times, say like zoo lights um, and the different uh, events and attractions that the zoo puts on that frankly don't have anything to do with the animals. Um, But, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, thank you for being here. You know, I'm here with my family, but I will never come again. You're right. You know, and we've had people come up to us that have left and said, I saw your signs before I went in there and I went in there and those animals are so depressed. You're right. You know, and of course we have people that that don't like us there. You know, they don't they don't want their children to know the truth. They don't want to have that conversation with their children. But it's important to have that conversation because a lot of the times we found that children, they know. And I think both me and Courtney can say that we've been in the zoo and have heard children say very similar things to their parents um, and question, you know, are these animals really okay? They don't really seem okay. You know, their empathic side really comes out. Uh, And so, yeah. No, I would say it's kind of like with any animal issue, there's cognitive dissonance for people is they, they don't want to believe what really goes on you know, like in a slaughterhouse or behind the scenes in a zoo, or, you know, it's just kind of like the surface. They want to stop at the surface and not examine it too closely. So that's what we've been doing is pulling the bandaid off so that people can actually see the reality. And hopefully that will make a a change down the line. 
I mean, it did, it did work with circuses. They finally gave up their elephants. So it's a continuum. For those listeners just tuning in, you are listening to Courtney Scott and Danielle West of Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants on Voices for the Animals. We were just hearing about different types of elephant behavior in zoos and how they're demonstrative of the, those elephants' distress, and also specifically about the Oregon Zoo and the elephants currently confined therein. I'd like to hear from either of you, what is your perspective on the Oregon Zoo more generally? Is it an institution that Oregonians can feel good about supporting? Do, what do they need to work on? Is it salvageable? <laughs> okay, I'll go first. I'm sure Danny has something to say about that too. Uh, no, no, it's not a good organ. First of all, just to focus on the elephants, it's been listed as one of the 10 worst zoos for elephants. I think 11 times now. I, I've lost count. It's been wow. so many times. At least 10 years in a row. Yeah, at least 10, yeah. But um, overall, since I've been involved in this, although my focus remains and has always been with elephants, I visit the zoo and I see the other animals. And so I've become convinced that actually a zoo is not a good place for any large, especially large exotic animal. They all need space. The giraffes need space. You know, the lions need space. They don't have any there. Mm -hmm. And so it's just cruelty to keep animals imprisoned for entertainment is what it is. And so in my view, what needs to happen is they need to replace the animals. It will be take time. You know, they're going to have to find places to send all the animals, but in time, replace them with uh, animatronics, you know, with virtual reality. There are already zoos that have started a little bit of that. I believe it's a North Carolina zoo has a virtual reality tour of Africa. So there, that's the way of the future. This, it's like enslaving animals for our entertainment, really. It seems like such an uh, antiquated, outdated, outdated mm -hmm. idea. Now, 35 zoos have closed or are in the process of closing their elephant exhibits. So do right. you think that we are on the trend of closing down all of these and moving into the future? I think so, but I think it's slow and it's hard for everyone to really um, be patient sometimes. It's hard for me, but it's, it, uh, yes, I think eventually it will go in that direction. First of all, right now they're in the middle of this pandemic and they're losing money. Mm -hmm. And I don't know is that all the zoos around the world are ever going to catch up, honestly. So I think it's a financial issue now too as well. Unless they're bailed out by the public. Right. So, but I think it, it, I think people are starting to see it, you know, we're, we're nibbling away at it. And I think people in other cities are nibbling other allies around the world, um, LA, Canada, they're nibbling away and they're, it takes time, but the more we do it, the more people wake up. Some of our listeners might be wondering, well, where, where would these elephants go if they were freed? So for example, where would Chandra go if she was freed? Well, there's three sanctuaries in the U.S. right now where she could go. And how much, do you know how much space Chenger might have at one of these sanctuaries as compared to the six acres she shares at the Oregon Zoo? Yeah, well, let's just talk about, there's two that I'm going to mention the space exactly that I know about. In the Tennessee sanctuary, there's something like 2,000 acres. Now, when they introduce them, they don't, they don't open up the whole sanctuary at once, right? They have to get used to it and be introduced to the others, for instance. That takes time, but ultimately, they do have access to over 2,000 acres. In the uh, paws, they have African and, and one Asian elephant, so they're divided up. They have a little, like maybe hundreds of acres, okay, for the African elephants. 
So it, it depends on the sanctuary, but they all have vastly more space than what the Oregon Zoo has. The sanctuary, just one more thing, Danny, the sanctuary in Georgia has 850 acres. So there, that's all three in the US. Go ahead, Danny. Yeah, and I just want to point out that aside from the vast difference of space that these uh, elephants get, um, they also have trees. They don't have those in zoos. Right. They, a lot of these elephants that get transferred to a sanctuary, um, it's their first time touching grass to their feet. I mean, it's all a whole new experience for them. And um, it's, a t it's a time for them to reintegrate into really being an elephant again. Contrary to this trend that we're talking about, about zoos closing down their elephant exhibits and more elephants going to sanctuary, the Oregon Zoo actually has a breeding program for elephants, right? Is that still active? How successful has that been? Well, we don't know how active it is right now, um, considering Chandra miscarried and has TB. So I don't know is that they would bring another elephant in there to breed with them. Well, they have an elephant to breed with them right now, um, Samson. But I don't know how active they are at the current moment. I would think not. First of all, I don't even know how they would afford to care for another elephant at this point. But their ultimate goal has always been to increase the size of their herd up to 19 elephants. That's part of the reason they built the elephant lands. Um, how many are there right now? Right now there's five. Wow. I am so. also just learning this number or hearing it from you, Courtney, that I didn't know that they wanted to have up to 19 elephants yeah. in a four-acre space. Right. That, it all came, that is abhorrent. That is right. awful. It is abhorrent. Cool. It all came out right after the bond measure passed. Actually, it was a reporter at the Willamette Week who found out the documents, got a hold of the documents, and they discovered that the breeding was what they were planning to do with the offsite preserve. And that their goal was to increase the herd up to 19 elephants. And they plan to use elephant lands to keep them there at elephant lands, but to use the offsite is helping them to breed them. I can only imagine that elephants are very expensive to take care of. So right. they, they must be one of the most popular attractions at the zoo. Is that why they have so much oh, yeah. emphasis on them? Of course, of course. And especially baby elephants. So that's why breeding is a very big uh, deal. And it's not just, just so you know, the, the zoo is not the driving force. It's really the AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Mm -hmm. And they're like a trade industry and they, they have a species protection plan. And they get all the zoos, the ones that are breeding, to cooperate and do as they say, who to breed, you know, and when to breed. And, and it's a big deal for, for all, the whole zoo industry. And the AZA is the one who guides that and directs that. Well, speaking about species protection, I've heard you use the term psychological extinction of elephants. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to let Danny talk to that, too. That's, that's a phrase I believe came from originally Gabe Bradshaw, who's a scientist uh, researcher, and she said that elephants are just uh, suffering from PTSD. I believe she was the first one to discover that. And they're, they are suffering psychologically, because if you're not able to be who you're meant to be in your life, you know, you're, you're just a prisoner your whole life, all the traits that make you an elephant are going to be extinguished right? So you are no longer the free being that you should be, and you can't exhibit the behaviors or the emotions that you would normally behave if you were able to. 
So that's kind of how I understand psychological extinction. It's like this creature you see in a zoo. It's like Dame Daphne said, you're not seeing an elephant, you're seeing a tragedy, right? So it's no longer the same. It's like a depressed zombie-like being. And you compare that to an elephant in the wild or in sanctuary and the difference is stark. So that's what I would say is, is meant by psychological extinction. Yeah, imagine um, humans going extinct, but being sort of held together in say a prison or an institution, right? Where we don't get to go out, but they're whomever is keeping us sort of alive and present in this world by breeding us. We are not humans anymore, right? We are just machines. We are, um, you could call slaves, you know, in, in our, mind. our species, but unable to exactly. express our, our inner exactly. humanity. Exactly. So when, when, when the zoo says something like, well, captivity is conservation, well, that's not true because you're not reintegrating them, these beings back into the wild where they belong, right? So yes, if an elephant is in a zoo, they're probably not going to be poached. If you ask the elephant, would you like to go out with the risk of being poached or would you like to stay here where you're quote unquote safe? That elephant is gonna say, get me out of here, please. That transitions well to my next question, which is what are some other of the arguments for keeping the elephants in the zoos and how do you respond to those? I would love to take this question or at least part of it because I love this one. It's just so very easy to just rebut. People say that captivity is education. That's my favorite one. But when I go to the zoo and I observe because I do go to the zoo often to, I call it bear witness um, to get footage and to spend time with uh, the elephants in an empathetic manner rather than an entertainment manner. Mm -hmm. And um, I hear parents telling their children, oh, they're, that one is a baby. Well, no, she's not a baby. That's Chandra and she's 27 years old, but she's smaller than the others. But they don't know what species she is compared to the other, the other elephants. So where's the education there? When they say, oh, is that one a man or is that a male or a female? They don't know that. So tell me, where is this education happening, right? When you could have some virtual um, uh, exhibit that we were talking about earlier um, that really does educate people. I mean, the zoo has a zoo talks where the keeper will come and say a bunch of um, quote unquote facts about the elephants and half of the facts are not even correct. So where's the education there? You know, and again, I come back to where's the conservation if elephants go psychologically extinct? What's what's the point, right? Where is the conservation there? I just Stephanie, want you'd to like add to add, one, Courtney? I just want to add one point to her her point about education. The WAZA, the World Animal World Association of Zoos and Aquariums own study showed that there was little to no education from visitors. They did their own study. Hmm. And so they don't, they don't bring that out too much, but that's a fact. You can look it up online. That's a good note to end on. And I'd like to ask where can our listeners find more information about your campaigns and follow you on social media and support your work? Well, they, first of all, they can go to our website, freeoregonzooelephants.org. And from there, they can link to Facebook, Twitter, 
and Instagram, I believe. And YouTube. And please do um, go to our website. There is a tab that is a call to action tab. It has email addresses and phone numbers that you can call, um, such as the zoo director, the elephant curator, et cetera, um, and even Metro city council members to urge them to please end the elephant exhibit, stop the breeding program. It has failed. There has been 28 elephants bred at the Oregon Zoo. 21 of them died prematurely. And that's not saying a lot because any elephant in captivity is going to die prematurely. So write the emails and call them and say, hey, this is not right. And Portland and all these other cities, the world wants these elephants to go to a better place, to go to a sanctuary. And especially please give voice to Chandra and let them know that she especially should be going to a sanctuary right now because that is our campaign. Metro is the owner of the zoo, the manager of the zoo. Most people uh, know, most people don't even know who Metro is. Yeah, I, I very easily believe okay. that. They go to our website, it's all there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much to both of you. This has been Noah Bristol with Voices for the Animals, speaking with Courtney Scott and Danny West of Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants. For the listeners, Voices for the Animals airs at 10 a.m. on the fourth Friday of every month, where you can listen online anytime at kboo.fm slash Voices for the Animals. Until next time. Saturday, March 13th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. for a very special quarantine version of the Bluegrass Marathon from your friends at Music from the True Vine. This year's marathon will feature homespun, socially distanced recordings from Jack Straw, Left Coast Country, John Cale and Andy Staninitz, Caleb Clowder and Reed Wilms, Doug Sammons and Jeff Smith, Farmstrong, and many, many more. Don't miss this unique radio event. Catch up with your friends and neighbors, playing music, and sharing stories from the lockdown. Again, tune in to KBOO Saturday, March 13th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. for the Bluegrass Marathon. Don't miss it. it.